You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name's Tony East. I cover the team for Forbes and the West Side Community News. And yikes, 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 yikes. Today we're talking about a, a bad day in this Pacers season that is already off to a, a funky and, and slower than people hoped for start. Pacers lose to the Jokic-less, Porter-less, Murray-less Nuggets in Denver 101-98. And, you know, I see the, the yikes is my reaction to the game. The Pacers did not play well. They should have lost this game. But I think people are thinking they played a lot worse than they did. I want to talk about this game, what happened, why the Pacers lost. Karis LeVert not playing. Turnover problems popping up again. A lot of the big hitting topics for the Pacers that came up in this game. And then the Jazz tomorrow night, the most brutal back-to-back in the NBA, one altitude location to the other. Did the Pacers stand a chance against Utah? They used to play pretty well against Utah. That was not the case last season. So can that continue? Lots to talk about today but yikes is my summary to start again have you guys seen that meme youtube video where the guy drives to the store and buys a giant poster and writes yikes on it and he just says that's going to be a yikes for me that is this pacers day in a nutshell you losing to the nuggets without Jokic, without porter without murray is is bad and here's the thing will will barton was unbelievable will barton was the best player for either team in this game he had 30 points hit six threes was just absolutely ridiculous, and yet the Pacers still, despite that, should have won. Right? That they, they should they should have won. And in the current landscape of the NBA, you know, ninety eight one hundred one, it's hard to say that they needed a little more on offense or defense. They needed more on both ends. But the problem was in this game. If you watched it, if you box score hunt, whatever you want, they got nothing from their wings. The Pacers got absolutely nothing from their wings. Sabonis played very well. Turner was an unbelievable defensive game from him. Brogdon was unbelievable in the fourth quarter. TJ McConnell is now currently uh, from Pat Boylan here from uh, Bali Sports Indiana. So on the strongest three-game scoring run of his Pacers career, right? Those guys were all excellent. They got a lot of points from their guards. They got a lot of contributions shot creation-wise from their starting guards. Their centers were great on both ends. Those guys all stepped up. The wings for the Pacers in this game were miserably bad. Justin Holiday, two for eight, two for six from deep. Only six points. Chris Duarte, easily his worst game as a pro. Two for nine, six points. He was gassed. The 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 Bali Sports broadcast cut to it. Duarte was sitting on the bench, just completely exhausted in the middle of the third quarter. You could tell he missed every shot he took in the first half. All his makes were in the second half. Far and away, his worst game as a pro. I asked Malcolm Brogdon about the altitude after the game because, you know, it affects everyone. But Duarte just, he said, you know, it's probably like a mental preparation thing. He just wasn't expecting it to be that heavy on of an impact on him. Uh, and you could tell, you know, Duarte was absolutely exhausted. There was a possession. He hit a three, and then he came back for defense, and the Pacers got a rebound, and he came out the floor so slow. It took forever for him to get even in the frame. And then the next stoppage, he, he knew he was coming out of the game right away. He was that tired. He knew Carlisle was taking him out. So really rough Duarte game. Torrey Craig was one for four. His defense was still valuable, although we'll talk about something that his valuable defense actually hindered him in this game. Jeremy Lamb was one for four. His defense, again, not up to snuff. Keelan Martin played to almost 20 minutes, two for five, right? So going through all those guys, they were combined eight for 30 from the field. The Pacers got nothing from those guys. 
from that whole group combined, Justin Holiday made two threes and Chris Duarte made two threes. Actually, from that whole group combined, there were two made two-point shots. Three made two-point shots, excuse me. So those guys gave the Pacers absolutely nothing. They were so reliant all night on Brogdon and McConnell getting to the paint and score or one of the bigs make something happen around the basket. And that that kept them in the whole game, but it wasn't enough of an advantage against a very depleted Nuggets team. And the Nuggets have been a decent to good defensive team this year. So maybe 98 isn't so bad, but the other end of the floor is where the problems really existed. Giving up 101 to this Nuggets team was really, really bad. And and Barton was making some insane shots. And even if he just has 30, you expect to win. But Zeke Naji, second-year pro from Arizona, came off the bench. He doesn't play a lot for the Nuggets normally, but with Jokic out, he played over 20 minutes. Seven for 10, he hit two threes. The Pacers just completely ignored him. From three undisciplined there on defense, Bones Highland, a rookie, tore them up. He had 12 and was creating well with passes. He had four assists, which actually was the team high for the Nuggets. So the the Nuggets, they just, a lot of guys who don't normally have to do a lot for them had to step up. And, you know, P.J. Dozier hit some tough fadeaways that were contested. Jeff Green made a few nice plays getting to the free throw line. The Pacers' defense was really, to me, where they should have been better in this game, giving up 101 to... This crew without Porter, without Murray, without Jokic was was really bad. And combine that with the Wings giving them absolutely nothing and a pretty poor three-point shooting night in general besides a couple stretches in the second half. Pacers finished at 35.5%. Um, what, it, was, it was just a forgettable, forgettable game for the Pacers. And one that they they absolutely were the more talented team in and should have won. But weirdly, like, they didn't – you know, if you look at just the stats, like they shot a, a Brown League average – from three, they they won the rebounding battle by 11. Only 12 turnovers, well below their season average, right? More assists than the Nuggets. The same number of steals as the Nuggets, right? More blocks than the Nuggets. Like, a lot of stats are like, yeah, they played a pretty good game. But in this very slow-paced game, Denver won the three-point battle and dominated the free-throw battle. And there's your efficiency thing in the NBA. If you can get points from the free-throw line, if you can get efficient points from three, that's a good sign for your team, and the Nuggets were able to do both, and the Pacers were able to do neither. So it, it was really a, a forgettable performance from this Pacers team. And I know everybody was expecting them to win with all those guys out for Denver, including me. Um, but this is kind of who the Pacers are. You know, the, the big story before this game, no Karis LeVert. His back, he has back pain. I don't know if it's related to what kept him out before the season started when he had a back issue. Um, apparently, Carlisle said this started on Monday. He was dealing with this, and he did some stuff in practice the last day or two, whatever they were able to do. And he went through shoot-around today uh, for you guys yesterday. Before the Nuggets game, he went through shoot-around, but was unable to go in that game because of back pain. It, his status going forward is undetermined, but you know the, the Pacers just can't have four starters at the same time, apparently. It's just not meant to be. So no Levert, right? So they had to change up their rotation again, move Justin Holiday back into the starting five. And the reason that was relevant is the Pacers started really slow. And, you know, Brogdon, who had strep over the weekend, horrible. Um, you know, he, his voice was clearly deeper and and gross and sickly uh, on his in his postgame media session. You know, he started slowly as he adjusts to the altitude and is sick. And, you know, Justin Holiday coming back into the starting five didn't shoot well. And they, they got nothing from him. Duarte was awful in the first half, right? They just... They didn't get enough at the start of the game, and they were climbing out of a hole the whole time, and they had a lead in the third. They Again, they, they, they should have won this game, but just a lot of factors happening at the same time where if they had another creator in Levert, could have likely been avoided. So the Pacers really should have, again, should have won this game. I can't repeat that enough. They, they really should have. They really needed it. Two road wins in a row, given their schedule to start this season, would have been so huge. So they got to be disappointed in this one. And the ending of the game is another point where the Pacers will be disappointed themselves. 
they always they've they've had struggles. You know, this is I think their fifth or sixth time losing by less than five points uh, this season. They they just it's been in- incredible how they can't quite close out these games. They couldn't get a stop at the end of this one. It was really tough for them. Um, to get a stop, you know, the Nuggets got free throws with six seconds to go. They got a wide open dunk with uh, 12 seconds to go. They did get a stop in around the 20 second mark, but Will Barton hit a floater uh, in the final minute. Aaron Gordon got a put back in the final minute. Uh, they, they just couldn't get a stop basically inside the last two minutes, and that really sunk them when they were down just two with 210 to go. If they had just gotten one more stop or you know, something like that, they could have easily won this game. But two key plays swung this one at the end. One, this is weird. So Sabonis, so there was a, a foul call on the floor that was challenged. It was ruled a block, whatever. So if it was called a foul on the floor and it stood, Sabonis so would have had two free throws. Um, but Jeff Green blocked it out of bounds, and that's what the, the officials determined happened, was that it was a block, not a, not a foul. So either of those outcomes, a Jeff Green block out of bounds or Sabonis getting fouled means the Pacers had the ball. But it ended up being a jump that went to the Nuggets. So that was weird because they got it right. I don't think it was a foul on Jeff Green at all. He kind of hit his head coming through on the block. Whatever it wasn't. It, it, whatever. It, shouldn't, it wouldn't have been a foul, a foul called thing in live play. A review was the only way that was revealed. But the Pacers lost the ball because of the review. They would have had it either way if the call on the floor was either block or foul but because it was reviewed they lost it that cost them a possession the other thing that cost them a possession is uh late in the game they were down two with about 14 seconds to go and they're trying to defend an inbounds pass before they foul to get a steal and Torrey craig is in the game and he played for the nuggets two seasons ago and i think he knew the play that the nuggets were running he was pointing he knew where guys were going to go and then there was like a fake little screen action going on in the paint and both he switched off of his man, which was Jeff Green, to go chase the guy he thought the Nuggets were going to try to throw it to because he knew the play. And the Nuggets clearly were trying to get it to the guy he he chased out. That was correct. But he chased someone that wasn't his man. So they had two guys on one, and Jeff Green was wide open under the basket. Nuggets got a free dunk out of it instead of being, instead of having to shoot free throws after a foul. That was really killer, too. So two, two strange plays that were unusual uh, to see in a basketball game happened in the last... 30-ish seconds of this game, or last minute of this game, rather, that uh, that really changed the game. So, yeah, 42 seconds left on the Sabonis uh, layup attempt, and then 14 seconds left on on the, on the Craig blunder. So, really rough for the Pacers to lose this one. I mean, really rough. And some concerning trends popped up I want to talk about, but they, they needed this one. It would have been huge for them to split this road trip. Now they, at best, can split if they beat Utah, and that's really tough. Utah's very good. We'll talk about them later. So, they needed it. They didn't get it. Let's talk about some of those trends that continue to befall this team, mainly turnovers. Well, lots to get to, but first, let's talk about the good people over at betonline.ag because they are back and better than ever with a new web interface for the start of basketball season. More props, more odds, and more lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head over to their new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Use the promo code we got for you, Locked On, all one word. When you sign up, you'll receive that 50% welcome bonus. They've got basketball, football, baseball's done, but they got next season stuff on their NHL boxing UFC right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Do not wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. All right, so what trends concerning trends happened in this game that kind of have defined some of the Pacers this year well I talked about the first one with Brendan Rourke from Pacers.com earlier this week turnovers 
And they only had 12 in this game. So why am I talking about turnovers? That's below their season average. 12 turnover game, generally pretty good. If you walk out of a game with 12 turnovers, like you're going to have some every game. You're not too upset about 12. The Pacers have been in the 20s a few times this season. High teens, you know, really kill our amounts. Only 12 doesn't sound so bad. But the problem was eight of them were in the third quarter. They only had four in the rest of the game combined. And they they blew this game really. You know, Carlisle loves to define a stretch where his team blew this game. And he didn't say one this time. But the Pacers were up eight in the middle of the third. And very short time after, they were losing this game because that's when their turnover run happened. They have one rough stretch like this every game seemingly this season. But they give up a monster run to their team in this in this game. It was the third. They were up uh, they were up 56-48 with seven minutes and seven seconds to go, right? Chris Duarte turnover. And then uh, Sabonis misses a layup. And then another turnover uh, for Miles Turner. And then another turnover for Miles Turner, right? And then another turnover for Miles Turner. Three minutes later, all of a sudden, the Nuggets are right back in this game and they're ahead. They were ahead at the five minute marks. Really, it only took them two minutes to get rid of the Pacers' biggest lead of the game. And turnovers were huge for the Pacers in this quarter. And half the Pacers' turnovers this game came from one of Turner or Sabonis. They combined for six of the Pacers' 12 turnovers in this game, which is unusual for those two guys. Sabonis has been a turnover-prone player this season, no doubt, but Turner not so much. So I attribute that to they were trying to, you know, at halftime I think the Pacers only had like 14 points in the paint or something like that. And with Jokic out, they def- the Pacers definitely had a size advantage. And so they needed to be going inside more. Oh, th- what it was is Turner and Sabonis were combined uh, 17 points on like nine shots at halftime, right? They were dominating inside. So I think they tried to go with a more concerted effort to try to get inside and try to get that advantage going in the in the third quarter. And the Nuggets were kind of ready for that adjustment, and they were hawking the ball and making it really uncomfortable for Turner and Sabonis to make it happen. And the turnover issue just popped right back up, and it, it was really killer that that run happened. And, of course, it was the third quarter. Pacers easily the worst third quarter team in the NBA this season, that's another trend that continues to just, it befuddles me because Rick Carlisle is such a masterful adjuster that even they have these bad third quarters all the time, all the time. And then in the fourth, they they turn it around every time, they, but they dig themselves a hole. They I think they've lost every game this season where they were trailing at the end of the third quarter. Uh, I believe that they are 0-6 in those situations now, I, I, 0-6 or 0-7. So the, these third quarters are killer, and it, oftentimes it's caused by the same thing, that some adjustment causes them to be too aggressive or they're looking to do the wrong things and they turn it over too much. And you have a run like this where a Denver Nuggets team that has one really useful scoring option in Will Barton and then a bunch of guys who are trying to prove themselves can just dominate them. So can't have that problem. They've got to clean up the turnover department somehow or slow it down when the turnovers start to become an issue because three quarters of their turnovers were in one quarter of this game. That That's just unacceptably bad. The other issue that this team has had often this season, and this is kind of something that they had last year under Nate Bjorkren as well, is they can pretty often count on when they're playing. They've gotten good play from Brogdon all the time. They've gotten pretty good play from Sabonis in most games except for up in Toronto. Turner still continues to be excellent uh, in recent weeks, especially on defense. Right, Those three guys have been good. And McConnell is on one of the best runs of his career as well. But their role guys just are have been wildly inconsistent to the point where they can't even get two of them to have a good game at the same time. It, it's really killing them that that their role players continue to struggle. Like Justin Holiday has his big game where he's finally hitting threes and they just completely smoke the Knicks. Or like Jeremy Lamb has hit, has a couple big games and and helps them beat the the Heat and Duarte's big game helped them beat the Heat as well and Torrey Craig's big game had them up big on the Nets in the first half before they completely fell apart in that one, right? Like we've seen where 
if they just get one or two of these guys to actually be gelling and, and, and playing their intended role very well, they win or they look way better. And then they have stretches of games or season where these, these role players cannot step up to their level when they need it. And Justin Holiday in this game couldn't get up to that level. And Jeremy Lamb couldn't get up to that level. He's still recovering, but still. And Chris Duarte had his worst game. And they just couldn't get enough from those guys. And some of that's just making shots. But even defensively in this game, Duarte had some moments you know, and he was he was exhausted. Like, like a lot of times when you talk about guys being gassed, like they they've played a, a really tough game. But this was the one where Duarte, you could tell the altitude was destroying him. He was so sweaty and out of breath, and he he he, he was just gassed. It it was really in it was in the third quarter. Like even in the first half, you could tell he was he was really feeling something. He was really going through it in this game, laboring to do tasks. So it, it, he couldn't. And he couldn't have the impact he needed to have on either end of the floor. And Lamb, again, wasn't that great. Torrey Craig only hit one shot. Keelan Martin continues to give the Pacers surprisingly useful minutes to me. And I, Rick Carlisle keeps calling his number if he keeps playing like this. Keep doing it. You know, he's been a serviceable enough backup wing for this team. But again, a guy you have to now count on to be consistent if you're going to play him almost 20 minutes every game. And he's he has been so far. But he, after hitting, I think, two of his first three shots, couldn't do much for this team. In this game, the rest of the way, every bench player they played in this game was a, a zero or worse plus minus, except for TJ McConnell, who ended up being a nominal starter because he took Chris Duarte's spot with that closing unit. So the, the role guys just haven't given them enough in a lot of games this season and, and pretty recently. And they're really counting. They need a couple of them to find a groove or find a better role. And that kind of falls back on their problems they've had for the last two and a half seasons with injuries, right? Justin Holiday's overmatched sometimes as a starter because you know he's he's playing against guys who are better than the units he's typically with, or he's asked to do a little more in a way that when he's with the bench he doesn't have to. Or oh, Jeremy Lamb's now asked to do more because there's less creators with the second unit. Or same with T.J. McConnell, he's asked to do more and he is he has been stepping up. But you know, in general, guys have to do a little more when like Lavert's out or Brogdon's back, but or when Brogdon's out or something like that. And these injuries make it harder on those guys to perform consistently when they're in roles that are slightly over what you'd expect from them, given their skill set, given their resumes and their past. So it, this was another game, just like what we've seen for the Pacers so often this season, where they have one really rough, they have a bad third quarter. They have a rough stretch in the game where turnovers absolutely kill them. And they can't, they did. They just needed one role guy to step up. Chris Duarte shoots three of seven from deep or Jeremy Lamb shoots two for four from the field or, something like that they win they just win right and it didn't happen they needed it they should have won this game 100 they were better than the roster the nuggets put on the court and they actually played okay in a lot of key areas of the game but they couldn't close it they had a bad stretch in the third quarter and their opening was really bad too i haven't even said that yet another problem they've been having occasionally this season they've been a really good first quarter team this season the pacers have but right at the start of games like literally the the very start has been brutal. They were down eight, seven or eight right away in this game. You know, when you lose by three, you look back at that stretch and and have to wonder how this game could have turned. So, concerning trends abound for the Pacers. They are back. They need to. And Carlisle talked about this in his post game presser as well. Just they're getting better for sure. And he's talked about a lot about you know process versus results and how you know you have to improve the process to get the results. And I think they are improving the process and they're, and they're closer to being good than their record indicates. But Losing a game like this does not certainly make you think that. But he did say after this game that, you know, they just got to clean up some little things and they'll look a lot better. And I tend to agree with him. But, you know, what's going to be hard is cleaning those things up against the Utah Jazz because the Utah Jazz 
are very good. So let's look ahead at Pacers Jazz tonight. It's going to be a tough one for the Pacers. Tough back-to-back, that Denver-Utah back-to-back. So let's do that. But first, let's talk about the good people over at McDonald's because McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty, affordable food. It's a place where friends and family can come to reconnect, a place where classmates can meet up. For a study group, knowing they'll have good Wi-Fi and McFlurries, win or lose, it's a place where teammates, competitors, the home team, the away team, whoever can come to recharge. And it's a place that you can always look forward to stopping on your long road trips. I used to go all the time with my mom. When I would do well on a test, we'd get McFlurries or I'd go with my dad after baseball games. A lot of fond memories there. It's always a good place to stop by. So head to your local McDonald's to refuel and reconnect. Maybe one day we'll have a Locked On Pacers watch party at a McDonald's, the one downtown very close to me. Makes a lot of sense there. So, McDonald's, go check it out. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm loving it. Pacers, Jazz, tonight. I won't officially predict a loss to start off a segment ever, but a back-to-back, both on the road, both in the altitude, is as close to a scheduled loss as you can get uh, in the NBA, basically. The Pacers, I think, had this back-to-back last year or two seasons ago. I'm going to look and try to find it because... I recall them losing both that time, or they had the game where Doug McDermott was unbelievable uh, in, in Denver a few seasons ago that really helped them. But they, they, they just, it's impossible. It's just one of the hardest things you could possibly have. It was not last season, although they did play in Utah and lose last year. Uh, so it must have been two seasons ago. But it, it's just, it's so hard to, to play in the altitude like this. We saw what happened to Duarte. And then, okay, it was two seasons ago. They beat Denver on the first night of the back-to-back, and then they went into Utah the next night and lost by 30, 88 to 118. Uh, so, you know, that kind of tells you how hard this can be. That was the January 2020 Pacers-Jazz game. So this can kind of be a scheduled loss sort of situation just because of how hard that back-to-back is. Even though the Pacers played well against the Jazz for a few seasons, especially under Nate McMillan, last year did not look as pretty, and the Jazz are rolling, rolling, rolling this year. Eight and three, coming off a win. Uh, over Atlanta, uh, over Nate McMillan, ironically, by 12 points. And, and, you know, they're getting a little healthier. Rudy Gay's out, but, or, you know, he he hasn't played all season, but most of their guys that have missed some time have come back. And the Jazz are just a machine. Like, it is so impressive what they do. And something the Jazz are doing this year, I'd have to ask David Lockmore about this. He's the host of Lockdown Jazz and the founder of the Lockdown Podcast Network, where you're listening to this podcast is, I, I Adam Mara has explained this to me on Lockdown NBA, and I haven't heard the quotes on this, but I think the Jazz are a really low passing team. They pass way less than they have in past seasons. And Adam explained it to me as intent to have less turnovers because passing leads to turnovers very often. And I have I need to look into the intent on it, but the Jazz are 29th in assists. And if you just knew that, you'd think their offense might not be very good. And yet they're second in the league in two-point percentage, and they are third in the league in three-point attempts despite not making a high percentage, but they create a lot of very good looks and they make a lot of two-point shots and they get to the line the second most per game and are fourth in the league in free throw percentages. Their offense is still excellent despite that. So they've got a formula down to avoid these turnovers where they just pass less. And that's a very unique style that's kind of new because I remember Quinn Snyder's offenses used to be sort of complicated. Uh, I think it was Mike Conley who said you had to have a Ph.D., to play for the Jazz because they had to learn so much about, you know, all that stuff. And the Jazz do a lot of little stuff well. They're always looking for these little advantages. It's fascinating, right? Second in the league in rebounding. They want to win that possession battle like a lot of teams try to do this year. And they don't turn or they, excuse me, they they don't force a lot of turnovers, but their defense is still so solid. So just a fascinating team in the way they play. So the Pacers will have to find a way 
to counteract that. It's extremely tough, and they're extremely good for a reason. And their offense is obviously fantastic, and their defense is even better, right? They allow the fourth worst effective field goal percentage in the league. They're fifth in the NBA in defensive rebound rate. They don't give up a lot of free throw attempts. Like Just in general, the four factors for defense, they're very good at a lot of those things. Rudy Gobert is the best defensive player on the planet. Royce O'Neal's rounding into form. He's an excellent, excellent wing defender. We all know what Bogey's strengths and weaknesses are on that end from his time with the Pacers. Mike Conley is an excellent defender. Joe Ingles is an excellent defender. Now they have Hassan Whiteside, who is more of a Gobert, light, 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 but fast similes. They can play similarly on defense now, and he's in in ways that they couldn't in years past. They just have so many good defenders. They run such a good scheme. They're just an excellent team. So how to find advantages against the Jazz? Good luck is sort of the answer. I mean, they're really good. For a reason, I'm of the belief that injuries derailed them from reaching the uh, NBA Finals last season. But uh, something they do very well is they dominate the glass, right? The other team, their opponent, has the lowest rebounds per game in the entire NBA. So it's going to be paramount, paramount that the Pacers, if they want to get advantages, get a lot of rebounds. They've been pretty good on the glass this year compared to past seasons. That needs to continue if they want to beat this Utah team. The Jazz give up. Very few threes, 32 per game, fifth lowest in the league. It's going to be important for the Pacers to try to find good shots, right? Don't settle. The Jazz defense wants you to settle. They funnel you towards Gobert on purpose because he's so good at stifling people at the rim. Continue to run your stuff. Try to get your threes. That's going to be important because there's not a lot of obvious one-on-one matchups where the Pacers can get a key advantage in this game, especially if Levert remains out. You know, Maybe Jeremy Lamb can, can help on the second unit try to find some buckets, but it's going to be really tough for the Pacers to find those advantages in this game. So they they got to play good team ball. They've got to create advantages statistically in the way, in the ways that the Jazz allow other teams to create advantages. And the Jazz give up a ton of two-point looks, but Gobert shuts them down. So, you know, guys who are really good at floaters, for example, might be key in this game. Duarte's got a nice floater. Jeremy Lamb, Malcolm Brogdon worked on. He told me earlier this season that he worked on his floater in the offseason. That is something that the Pacers could focus on if they want to find strategic advantages against this team because look, Mitchell's amazing. Like Donovan Mitchell's amazing. There's always going to be a reliable offense for the jazz because Conley's reliable at creating for himself and others. Mitchell is as well. Uh, Ingles can kind of be, so they, they always will have good creation on the floor. They have the best defender in the league and Gobert's no slouch on offense. They're just really tough to beat for a reason. So, uh, you know, ways to win, stretch them out. Make Gobert stretch out. I think that's why the Pacers had success in the past is Turner had a little success pulling Gobert from the rim with his three-point shot. Sabonis, so whoever's on him, if it is Gobert, then it's up to Turner. But someone just will have a size advantage on this Pacers team. They've got to take advantage and then you know find the Jazz pressure point at points and, and try to convert over them. It's, it's really hard. If teams could do it, they would. There's no formula to doing it. But the other thing on defense is stay disciplined. The Jazz do not take a lot of twos. They try to take a lot of threes on purpose. That's very smart. They get good threes with few passes, though. Reminder, few passes. They don't want to make the extra passes as much as other teams. Got to focus on those X outs, fly out good closeouts. No, you know, Jeremy Lamb's terrible at closeouts. Um, Malcolm Brogdon struggles at them at times. Got to be on your A game with closeouts for a team that, like I said earlier, is uniquely looking not to pass in this modern NBA. The Jazz are just really good, though. You know, the Pacers could nail a lot of minutia, and the Jazz, who create a bunch of open threes every game, could just shoot 40% on their open threes and just win. They take that many. You know, it could it could be a math problem game where they try to maximize possessions, they try to maximize their good looks from three. It could just be, even if you do the things well that you think you need to do, you get math problem by Utah and lose anyway. So 
Tough game for the Pacers. They're going to have to play very well if they want to walk out of this road trip with a 500 record before they have Philly on Saturday, who a, a team with a lot of guys out, but apparently that's not enough for the Pacers to get wins. So trying to bank a win in this one would be huge. Uh, tomorrow, I'll break down this this upcoming Jazz game, and if the Pacers could do any of these things well that I just described to get a win, we'll look ahead at the weekend against Philly, see if any other trends that are befalling or helping the Pacers pop up in this game lots to get to for opponents perspective locked on jazz with david Locke is of course the place to go you can follow me on twitter at t east nba and this podcast at locked on pacers thank you guys a ton for listening and we will see you tomorrow